As you read through the parables, what you notice is that most of the parables happen outside. Now, last week we looked at the, the parable of the, uh, the uh, store owner who found the gems in the back of the, uh, the store and the kingdom of heaven was like that. But most of the times, Jesus looks to the ordinary outside to draw these pictures, used everyday events that were happening around those he was teaching. But in this instance that we're looking at today, he takes them out of the fields and vineyards, away from the sea and the marketplace, and returned them to the place they had grown up, their homes, and specifically to the kitchen. Maybe like in the maritime. I mean, if you're going to have a parable about the house, it would probably be in the kitchen, right? And they had watched countless times throughout their lives the event that Jesus is talking about in this parable. Matthew 13, 33 said, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she only put in a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. We're now in week eight of our summer series, Stories Told by Jesus. We've looked at treasures and sheep and wheat and weeds, and, and we've talked about faith and salvation, dreams and forgiveness. But in all of the stories, Jesus looked to the everyday, things that were happening around people, to explain the eternal. And now Jesus uses an illustration that would have been familiar to everyone who had ever watched their mother or their wife or their sister make bread. That would have been an almost everyday occurrence. You know, bread is one of those things that we tend to take for granted in 2018. Uh, and we have so much of it, so many different varieties. We have bagels and pitas and tortillas and muffins and rolls and baguettes and white bread and whole wheat bread and multigrain bread and raisin bread. And 2,000 years ago in Palestine, they would have just had bread. And the bread would have been made daily, right? Remember in the Lord's Prayer, right after Jesus taught us to pray that his will would be done on earth as it was in heaven. And then he prays, this is the NLT, it says, give us today the food we need. You're probably more familiar with uh, this one, give us this day our daily bread. But in the original, daily wasn't used there. It just said bread. But everybody understood that it was daily bread, that the bread came to them each and every day. But you see, the kingdom of heaven isn't like bread. It is like the ingredient that makes the bread rise. In the New Living Translation, it's translated yeast because that's how we understand it today. But in the King James Version, it's translated as leaven. Now, the reason is, is that the yeast as we know it is a fairly recent innovation. Commercial yeast has only been available for less than 200 years. And long before we were able to go to the store and buy, buy yeast in an envelope or a bottle, people have been eating bread that wasn't flat. So obviously, they were using something to make the bread rise. It was this rising agent, this leaven, that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of heaven. In the New King James Version, he says it this way. He goes... Another parable, he, Jesus, spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Culturally, we're told that bread was a staple in the time of Jesus. It was an, a very important part of the everyday diet. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the luxury of grocery stores and restaurants. Food was prepared at home. And if you're going to be away from home, then you took the food with you. And oftentimes, that was bread. Bread was an essential part of lunch when people took, took it with them. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch, there was fish and bread. When Jesus instituted the Last Supper, he used bread as a symbol for his body. In the book of Acts, when, G, or when Paul was being shipped to Rome to stand trial, and the ship they're on ran aground and is beginning to sink. Before they abandoned ship, they had their priorities right. They ate, right? 
It said, then he, Paul, took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. Remember when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus had gone 40 days without eating. 40 days without eating. And when, when Satan shows up, the temptation that, that he offers to Jesus to begin says, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, personally for me, if the devil was going to tempt me, he'd say, make the rock become a burger. But hey, what am I saying? But Satan used the familiar, the everyday for the temptation. And so just as when Jesus directed their attention to the farmer in the field, or the mustard plant growing on the side of the road, or the fishing net being cast into the sea, here he uses the everyday as a simile for the eternal. He draws from the secular to describe the sacred. So in Matthew 13, 33, Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast uh, a woman used in making bread. Even though she placed only a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So what is it we learn from yeast, or more correctly, from leaven? Well, the first thing is that leaven has a history. I told you earlier that 2,000 years ago, they didn't have yeast in little packets. And so you might be wondering, where did the leaven come from? Anybody here ever do the sourdough thing? You ever go through that sourdough phase? When I was in high school, we kept Herman in the fridge. My mother called it the monster bread, right? And, and we, she'd make the incredible rolls and bread with, with Herman. And uh, you'd feed the monster periodically, and it would split it, and it would make incredible bread. And it's really quite simple to make. If you're wondering, you know, how difficult is it to make sourdough? Really easy. I went online, the instructions are everywhere. You start with a tablespoon of water and a tablespoon of flour. You mix them together in a container. In eight hours, you add two tablespoons of water and two tablespoons of flour, and you wait. And in eight hours, you double it again, and you wait. And in a couple of days, it begins to bubble and roll, and it looks like something from a 1950 horror movie. <laughs> that is leaven. You keep it in your fridge in a sealed container, and you use it to start your sourdough bread or your pancakes. It's one of the healthiest breads out there, especially if you have dietary issues. And if you're ever wondering if you're buying commercial sourdough bread, you know, some bread says sourdough bread, look at the ingredients. Real sourdough bread has wheat, water, and sourdough starter. That's it. When it has wheat and flour and this and that and sourdough and yeast and vinegar, not real sourdough bread, just wheat, flour, or wheat, water, and sourdough starter. And 2,000 years ago, it was very similar. When the dough was prepared... When you had made the dough and it was already and it had risen, you would tear off a little piece and wrap it up and put it to one side. And that was your leaven for the next time. So every loaf of bread you made actually had the history of the previous loaf and the previous loaf within it. In, re in my research, I discovered there are bakeries that have been using the same leaven for generations for their sourdough. It is the secret to their bread. And every loaf of bread in Jesus' day had a history. Just like every one of us has a history. Uh, people have asked if we had a good vacation while we were away. If you read the pen of Den yet, we, we spent our vacation hanging around with dead people. We, uh, we, we had gotten 30 days of free access to Ancestry.ca, and, uh, and that's what we spent our vacation doing, delving into our family tree. And I have discovered, I think I've said this before, I've discovered that the technical term for what I am is a, a mongrel. Uh, <laughs> we kind of verified that. For Mother's Day, I gave my mom a DNA kit and we combined that with my DNA results and our genealogy, and we've discovered that, that my background contains Estonian, Irish, Scottish, English, Sardinian, I thought it was like a fish, <laughs> and West African. 
I always wonder why I had this affinity to Ghana, Burkina Faso, and Sierra Leone. Uh, we had a little, little uh, toga in there. And I found grandparents who were involved in the 1745 Jacobite Rebellion, the American Revolution, the Salem Witch Trials. My seventh great grandfather had a 100-pound bounty on his head from the British government in Nova Scotia just because he thought that maybe the revolution should be going on here as well as New England. I mean, picky, 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 right? <laughs> he became a political refugee to the U.S. And so I have a history. You know, oftentimes we think that we are who we are, and, and that's it. But each one of us has a history that comes to us from our parents and our grandparents. The kingdom of heaven did not just suddenly appear in the book of Matthew. Uh, didn't just show up in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. The history of the kingdom is constantly referenced. They talk about Moses and Abraham, about Isaac and Jacob, and stories are told from the Old Testament. When Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he reminds the Jews of their history. He goes, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. And so Peter is saying that, that what we have, the kingdom that we have, has the leaven from yesterday, the leaven from the past, the leaven from the Old Testament. There's a great statement in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It goes, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses uh, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Told you before, a little trick here. When you're, when you're reading the Bible, whenever you come to the word therefore, you have to go back and see what it's there for, right? So uh, chapter uh, 12 starts with the word therefore. Now we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the previous chapter, which has been called the Faith Hall of Fame. It starts with these words in Hebrews 11. Faith is a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. And for the next 39 verses, the author regales us with story after story of the faith of those who went before. He's talking about the leaven that makes up the kingdom. And then in verse 39, he writes this. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, we have this, these witnesses that are around us, that all of those who have gone before us, and we can add to that 2,000 more years of history. We, we don't stand alone. We stand on the shoulders of believers and teachers, theologians and lovers of God. Every generation tears off a little piece of their dough, adds it to the next generation to help them rise up and keep it right. You know, that's part of what they do in children's ministry, right? They're adding that. They're adding your experience when you teach our children. When you work with our kids, you're taking your Christian experience and you're taking it off and you're adding it to them. And you're adding that leaven to them. So I warn people to beware when all of a sudden uh, someone has this new revelation. They're like, nobody knew this before. This is a new revelation, whether it happened in the 1800s or happens today. What they're saying when they come up with this new revelation is ignore everything that happened for 2,000 years. Tertullian didn't find this, Augustine didn't find it, Wesley didn't find it, Calvin didn't find it. Nobody found it except for us, and that's scary. See, we have a history. We can't be separated from our history any more than you can separate bread from the leaven that made it rise. And sometimes the media in the world wants you to think that our history is something to be ashamed of within the Christian world. They trot out the Crusades and the Inquisition and the residential schools, wag their fingers at us, but they forget 
they forget that when the Crusades first started, it started because the, the Muslims were invading some of the lands down there and killing Christians and Jews. And so thousands of men volunteered to leave their homes and families to go and defend people they had never met, but shared a common faith with. And there were excesses, and the Crusades did not end up being our finest moment. But understand, there's more to the story simply than all of these nasty Christians going down and doing horrible things. And really, I mean, nobody expected the Spanish Inquisition, so let's not even go there, right? But our history, the church history, the history of, of Christianity includes the first hospitals that were established, the first schools for the blind and for the deaf, the first orphanages, the fight to end child labor, the end of slavery in Christian cultures. The women's rights movement had its birth in Wesleyan Church in New York. We can't forget our history, and we have to understand that we have an obligation to pass on what we have. And that's why churches have to grow and reach people. Unless we do that, unless we reach people and pass on the history, we're not leaven, we're just bread. We rise up and we're, we're nice and fluffy, and, and, but it stops with us. And if the leaven functioned the way it was supposed to, then it reproduced. So leaven has a purpose. The reason that leaven was added to the bread mixture was to make it rise. It wasn't added to increase the flavor or to change the color. They didn't add leaven so there'd be more fiber in the bread. They added leaven so it would rise and become light and fluffy. That was the purpose. And so when leaven did what leaven was supposed to do, you got this nice fluffy bread. And because of that, the bread tasted better, had a nicer texture, and was easier to eat. There are bakers in the sourdough industry who claim that their starter not only causes their sourdough to rise, but it adds a distinct flavor to the dough. And that may be the case. But the primary function is still to make the dough rise. The flavor it adds is a secondary benefit. So the church, the kingdom, has a purpose. And it's spelled out in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the church's purpose is to make disciples. And sometimes people forget that. We build these grand vision statements of all the things that the church is going to do and all the impacts that the church is going to make. But that's not the purpose of the church. Seriously, it's not. You might think it is. You might be wondering if our purpose is not to impact our community and make a difference. Then what's the use of having, you know, CIA, cornerstone actions? What's the use of doing these things? You might be wondering about Christ's command for us to be salt and light and, and all the good that can be accomplished by the local church. And we've heard it said that the local church is the hope of the world. And those things are wonderful. But they're not the purpose of the church. They're the purpose of those who make up the church. They're the purpose of us individually. The church is to make disciples. The disciples are to make a difference. And that is the leaven that works. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the people at Cornerstone are supposed to make a difference in the world. But that will happen as we make disciples of people, as we teach them and add leaven to them. The purpose of the church is to change society by changing people. I love the change we see in people when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. New Testament talks about that. It talks about how we become new creations and how we become different through that discipleship process. Um, Paul writes to the believers in Corinth. He tells them this. 
He says, uh, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? We don't like hearing that. Uh, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. It sounds like a bad bunch. But then Paul adds this. He goes, some of you were once like that. He said there's a difference that is made when the kingdom works in our lives. That as bad as we might be, that there's a saving grace that makes us different. This leaven that works within us, that changes our lives. Says you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. That is the discipleship process. That is our task to see people changed and then turn them loose to fulfill their purpose. And their purpose is to make an impact on the world. Which leads us to the next point. Leaven has an impact. If you ever watch bread rise, you know it goes from this to this. And then you punch it down, it goes to this again, right? There's a great story in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Paul and his friends have arrived in Thessalonica. And we read this. It says, some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Right? And so they went into Thessalonica, and they start worshiping, and they start doing what the church was supposed to be doing, making disciples. But it wasn't long before they were dragged before the authorities, and I love the charges that were brought against them. Now, the authorities couldn't find Paul and Silas, so we pick up the story in uh, verse 6 of chapter 17. It goes, when they did not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What a great compliment. I mean, that was supposed to be a criticism, right? But what a great compliment. Those who have turned the world upside down. I would say that they were, the kingdom of heaven was at work in those believers when they could have an impact on their world. Wouldn't it be great if people described the Christ followers who make up Cornerstone as those who have turned the world upside down? You see, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is not Cornerstone, the Wesleyan Church. King of heaven is you. And you're supposed to make a difference. You're to permeate the world. It's not enough that Christianity made a difference 2,000 years ago. It's not enough that Christianity made a difference 200 years ago. It's not enough that Christianity made a difference 20 years ago. We need to be making a difference today. We look back at our history, and we have a great history, but even in the New Testament, when they look back to the Old Testament, they realize that it was history that helped flavor who they were, but it wasn't who they were. In Acts, we read this. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. It is good the church has a great history that Wesley and Calvin and Mother Teresa and Billy Graham did the will of God in their own generation. But they have died and their bodies are decaying and that was yesterday and this is today and we still need to be doing the will of God today in the world, making an impact in our generation. William Barclay in the Daily Study Bible wrote this. He said, the whole point of the parable lies in one thing, the transforming power of the leaven. Le Oops. Leaven changed the character of the whole baking. Unleavened bread is like a water biscuit, hard, dry, unappetizing, and uninteresting. Bread baked with leaven is soft and porous and spongy. I don't know about the spongy bit. But soft and porous and spongy, tasty and good to eat. 
The introduction of the leaven causes a transformation in the dough, and the coming of the kingdom causes a transformation in our life. That's what's supposed to happen. We aren't just here to take up space. Christians have been left here to make a difference. Last week we talked about how you, know, you find those gems in your life to make a difference. Uh, here Christ reminds us that we're supposed to change our world as well as ourselves. Jesus left his followers here so we can have an impact locally and globally. We are serving our purpose as Christ followers when in his name we provide groceries for Ronald McDonald House. We're serving our purpose as Christ followers when we help feed the hungry by collecting soup and milk for Feed Nova Scotia. When we reach out locally through CIA Cornerstone in Action. When we drill wells in Ghana and train people on how to produce fresh water for natural disaster zones through World Hope, we're having an impact. In October, Pastor Deborah is flying to Sierra Leone to spend a week to find out how Cornerstone can partner with the church in Sierra Leone and the medical community there. You say, but aren't there places closer? Yeah, and there are places easier too. But we're not just called to go to the close places and the easy places. We're also called to go to the far places and the hard places to make an impact. And there are all the things that you folks do that I don't know about, that I don't have to know about, that makes an impact on those around you. And leaven needs time to work. This is probably the toughest thing for me, waiting. I'm probably the only person here in this room today who struggles with patience, <laughs> who, who wants things to happen right away. The rest of you, I'm sure, have buckets of patience, but not me. I, I'd be a terrible buzzard. I'd be like, just kill it and get it over with. Like, you know, like, what's with waiting for it to die? But not everything happens right away. Some things take time, and that's tough for me. I want it to happen. I want it to happen now. That's why I hate golf. I, I, I want to love golf, but I want to be a really good golfer, but I don't want to practice, right? I want to go out and have it transform me and become a great golfer, like David, when we golf together. When I was in college, I bought a guitar. My problem is I didn't want to learn to play the G chord. I wanted to learn how to play the minuet in G today. And it didn't happen. Sometimes it takes leaven to work its way through the dough. And that's the toughest part sometimes is watching it, seeing how long. The toughest part about starting Cornerstone was the wait, the watching. And it would rise up and it would drop down or rise up. And, uh, you know, it felt like making bread at times. But you know what happens if halfway through the rising process, you stick the bread in the oven? It doesn't work. It's ruined. In the summer of 2003, I'm not sure that many would have expressed much, much hope for this church. We had been around for eight years. We just couldn't seem to break through. And there were those who were actively lobbying for the church to be closed. And at that point, there, there weren't a lot of counter arguments. At a district board meeting around that time, the district superintendent was heard to comment, I don't know if I need to rescue Den from Bedford or Bedford from Den. <laughs> but what would have happened if we had to pull the, pulled the plug back then? We'd never have known what this church could accomplish. Never have seen the impact that could have been made. You understand that there would have been hungry people in Halifax who didn't have a can of chunky soup for lunch. If Cornerstone wasn't collecting soup and milk on the first Sunday of the month, which makes a difference. Sometimes people go, oh, there's only like 15 cans. Now, 15 people who will get a can of soup for lunch who wouldn't have at that point. If Cornerstone didn't exist today, there would have been literally tens of thousands of people in Sierra Leone, Ghana, and the Democratic Republic without access to clean water. That's a reality. If Cornerstone hadn't raised tens of thousands of dollars for well drilling in West Africa, it may not have happened. 
And sadder still, there would, be, there would be some people who had never been introduced to God who would not be going to heaven if this church hadn't been there. And it's the reality that sometimes we think that it needs to stop now, but we just have to wait a little longer. And it's the same in our life. Sometimes as Christians, we're thinking, I'm not growing fast enough. Sometimes those around us that we're, we're so concerned about them coming into the kingdom, we think, why don't they do it now? I invited them last week. Why didn't they come this week? Sometimes we just need to let it work and let the leaven have its way.